This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. Yo. There's certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this. Hi, this is Jen from Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen, and I'm here with Lynn today. How are you, Lynn? A little tired today based on a lot of work, but looking forward to the conversation, Jen. Yeah, I'm definitely a little bit tired, too. It seems like the year has all of us off to a running start, Um, but I'm excited to sit down here and talk about today's topic with you. So what we're going to be talking about is really looking at abusive systems and particularly how a while ago you and I noticed that the current situation with President Trump is very much like that of a patriarchal figure at the head of an abusive system. And we thought it would be really important for our listeners to understand these different roles and also to understand how people can shift from the role of being a denier or enabler into that of taking a more empowered, supportive, challenging, resistor stance. I I think, uh, you know, this is such an important conversation Uh, Because we have observed, you know, among our patients, um, our friends uh, in the media, everyone really talking about how people are reacting to the unfolding of all this information about how the White House is functioning. And currently we're right in the middle of the impeachment process from the House going forward to uh, the uh, process in the Senate. So it's been a very challenging month, the last one, in this interim period. Um, But maybe to start out and talk about what abusive systems are really based on. And, you know, in researching this and also in years of clinical experience between us, it's really clear that abuse in families is based on fear. And when an abusive system is set up, it really uses fear, the abusing individuals do, to control other people within that family or system. And we see a lot of kind of family abusers where the abuser is using fear, intimidation, other techniques to control members. The second thing that I think happens that's really key in abusive structures, either families or governments, is there's an abuse of power that power is not used in an equal way, but that power is used really over other individuals to intimidate them, to silence them, and in a wide variety of ways to provoke fear, which maintains the system. So thinking about that, when you look at the situation, our White House, our our government family right now, I think we should be looking through the prism Uh, There's fear involved here, and there's abuse of power, uh, which certainly the House of Representatives has called. You know, that's the accusation, is actually abuse of power. 
but it parallels a lot of things that we're struggling with with other systems in our world. Absolutely. And I think to also highlight in the relationship, I do think that the power over is seen as a technique to manage that fear. And so the belief is very much the underlying fears a lot of time are around either there you have power over somebody or they have power over you. And because you're afraid of being powered over, you justify powering over other people because those are seen as sort of the only options for how to navigate power. Whereas as we've talked about in other episodes, it's really about moving to more of a power sharing dynamic and a back and forth. And that's what equality is about. And equity is also about. And and so in these systems, there is the underlying fear as well of losing that power. And so a lot of abusers see themselves as victims, which makes it a very interesting conversation in terms of being able to get a clear reality. You uh, stated that beautifully, Jen. You know, and a lot of... Uh... Families that I work with that have an abusing member, you know, and you talk to that, you know, kind of the main abuser within a family system, and they are very afraid of losing their power when they open up in office settings. Uh, they really talk about this, uh, and uh, they do see themselves primarily as victims. So it's why you see those frequent references in President Trump's behavior to how he is being victimized in that flip process where you say something about an abusive behavior that he's engaged in and it's immediately flipped to where he is the victim. And, exactly. uh, you know, this is partly what makes it so hard to work with individuals who are locked into this abuser role and this abusive stance. Well, they're so readily threatened, and that's something we've seen with our president. You know, when somebody says some negative comment about him, instead of being able to say, you know, whatever, that's not that important, I have other things to do, every slight it has to be dealt with. Every slight is a challenge to that power, and you see that because even though abusers, some people see abusers as being like powerful figures, it actually really comes from the threat that they don't have power. And so they're constantly having to assert it in all these different situations. I, th I think it's uh, particularly hard um, uh, for people in our country during the last month uh, because they've seen Trump, President Trump's power threatened by the House of Representatives. And then they've seen remarkable retaliation really addressed after this. And there are the constant tweets that are coming out, really degrading countless people, his former opponent, Hillary Clinton, just being one of them. But it's a constant degradation of other individuals. And you see this specifically with Nancy Pelosi, who demonstrates another role that we do see in abusive families, which is really uh, the resistant member who is resistant to the process that is going on, is somewhere in the process of discovering it. You know, she herself might have been in abuse. She herself might have been enabling it for part of the time. 
but she's currently in the role of resistance and really working to look at the system that's running so poorly. And those people are inherent threats to the system because they have an understanding that the system is abusive. And so it's not just that one person, but it's really this whole system that props up this type of overpowering of other people. And so in order to change things, you end up having to challenge that. But I think Nancy Pelosi is a great example of how you don't have to power over in order to challenge the system. I I have admired how she's used her lieutenants, you know, uh, Chip and Nadler and others, really, uh, to have a more power equal system and to model that, that will, you know, when asked, she always says, We'll meet as a caucus. We are a group. Our group will decide this. And that's so different than the words that you hear coming from President Trump and really illustrates the model you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, because that's so different. I think one of the biggest things is that when you are in an abusive system, you are attacked for challenging, for bringing up other opinions, for questioning the authority. But when you are in a more power equal system, it's really about questioning for the purpose of improving the group and being able to look at things from different perspectives. So opinions are invited into this space, whereas that type of opinion is not invited into an abusive system. Well, even the question of opinions, Jen, brings up some really important things here. One of the other characteristics of an abusive system is that the truth is really downgraded, degraded itself, and not available. It's the power over person's truth that is put forward, as well as a whole number of lies. So there's constant lying about other people's truth, and there's the emergence of this power over system as the sole truth or the sole answer to this. And we certainly see families like this where there's been an abusive person in power for years, and if you don't adopt the reality of the abuser, you're really excluded from the system. Right, and that can be a threat. I mean, I think the other thing that you see maintaining it is that being in this type of abusive system is very threatening. And so one of the things that people do to maintain their ability to stay within such a system is that they will ignore the truth that they experience, they'll deny it, in order to maintain a sense of personal peace and calm. And so they're sort of sacrificing the overall good of the people being victimized for their own personal protection. And it explains, I think, why so many of us have really wondered about the, the Republican members of the House and why they reacted the way they did. You know, they were really trying to preserve their own position in this system, you know, which is very, very difficult for them. We may not agree with what they did, but I think it's important that we try to really understand the position that they found themselves in at that time. Um, the other group that I think really works with the truth are the journalists. And the journalists are part of the resistance. Uh, they really, and that's why I think President Trump has attacked them 
so aggressively and has tried then to get a whole group of journalists who might be called more enabling journalists to enable the system going. So he's worked with different groups like Fox News, Blaze, OSM. There's a whole range of these alternative reality uh, news works going on right now. Fox News is somewhere in the middle because often it tries to report things accurately. And then from within Fox News, there becomes a debate about all of this. What is the truth? You know, we have President Trump's truth, and then we have a lot of other truths really going on out there. But it's very confusing time because uh, it really the question becomes, what is the truth? And is truth worth it at all? Is there any truth? Well, I think that's part of what allows abusive systems to be maintained is that people start questioning the truth and what is the truth. And so because you are not sure, you are more likely to question your own perceptions. And because there's so much pressure to maintain the system, it it makes it creates a secondary barrier. So there's not just kind of challenging the truth that exists outside in the system but also how do you how do you overcome your ability to discern what is true for you versus what you're being told exactly exactly and i think we see so many in our our, our country slash family struggling with that right now they don't know what to believe they don't know what the truth is they question the whole process and um, I think that's where you see the true impact of an abuser, a successful abuser, is the impact on the truth and the overall belief system of the family that the, that the abuser is part of. Right. And I want to highlight, too, something I remember you mentioning when we were talking about some of the roles, the family-type roles that these different um, pieces play was that we had talked about how the journalists at this point are very much actually in sort of the children role of the family, where they are maybe speaking out, but they are limited in their power. Do you remember talking about that? I do, I do. And, you know, as a personal aside, and I'm not going to say more about it, I actually have a daughter who's a very successful journalist that I admire a great deal and is a a big voice out there, one of many, really speaking out for truth. And that is so, so important in life. But I think what happens, our culture has really, especially the Trump power culture, has degraded journalists so badly that they are, they've in some ways fallen to the position of children or those with less power within the structure. But I think what journalism shows us, the journalists today who are working on this as a group, they have worked tirelessly to really be mature, to be the adults in the room, and they deserve our gratitude and credit for this. Oh, absolutely. I think part of why we were talking about them being in that position of children, too, is because a lot of times children are are not yet as 
embedded in this system. And so they are able to function with the perspective of challenging it more readily on an internal basis. And then they, depending on how the system is and whether there are people available to share things with, children are often the ones who will try to speak up to somebody, to an adult figure. They will try to get the attention of people who do have more power to change things. And that's something that I think is reflective in the journalism in terms of holding to that truth and searching for that truth and then presenting it to the public who is reading the journals. But then I also think that as a society, we still sometimes don't treat children's truths or we we demean or lessen sort of their ability to discern things and we think that adults know more. And I think that is one of the ways in which I was thinking if we're forming this sort of country as family, that's why they're a little bit in that children role because they're being questioned. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I think the longer we're in an abusive system, uh, the more likely we are to pick up parts of it. And, you know, even unbeknownst to us or against our intentions, we too demonstrate power over aspects and we too are enabling, you know, the system to continue. So it's very important for those of us that are older that we continue to reexamine how we're incorporated and drawn and become part of that system, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's maybe not our intention, but these systems pull people in. If you have to find ways to live in them and uh, like our, our, our personal families, our government family has a lot of people who are struggling for finding ways to live in that system. Yeah. And so I, I think, in terms of a message of hope, again, it it comes back to sometimes if you can remove yourself from the system, that's great. It's pretty hard to remove ourselves from, you know, the country we live in. But I think there are roles within. You talked about how people can move from being deniers or enablers into taking on more of a resistor role. What are some of the things that you think allow for that transition to happen? Um, Partly what we're doing, Jen, open communication, because an abusive system really belies open communication. So when you can communicate openly across generations, you're then able to hear other uh, voices. And I think about in my own life in this situation, having a daughter who's a journalist who can see things that I can't having you who's so many generations, you know, years younger, it helps me to see things. It pulls me out of the frame that I've come to really expect. So I think listening, having conversations, being open to seeing that we can all be part of an abusive system. All Mm -hmm. of those things help us to make the jump out of it. And uh, knowing how we're, pulled and sucked into it is really, really key. I'd say especially for those older and so-called wiser members (laughs) that they pay attention to what wisdom is uh, really about. 
Yeah, I mean, I and I think from the younger end, I think is that it's really important that we not get into this mindset where we just automatically know better, but that we can, you know, speak across generations to understand how how these embedded systems form and what are strategies that have been used and what are things that have been effective, what are things that have not been effective and like how come those haven't been affected and how can we work together? Because a lot of times, you know, because when you're in a hierarchical system, just having age also allows you a little bit more access to power. And you've talked about that shift into being the grandmother and how that's afforded you like a different type of family power. Well, it's interesting you'd say that, but becoming the grandmother you actually sudden or suddenly you're spending more time listening to the very youngest. And the voice of the three-year-old is a very loud one. But I think yeah. it helps older people to really see and to hear and to be differently, to be different in a situation. So having a grandson who sees things differently too has helped me see that you can gain strength from pulling a bit out of the system and looking at it from the outside. And I think people who are, who are in the middle of the system, in power, have to find a way to get perspective on it. They really have to see their role in it. I think another example of different generational connections is Nancy Pelosi again, and her so-called lieutenants. You know, just how she listens to them. It goes back and forth. Um, she's not always right. But she does listen, and those interactions and being open and listening to other people really help older people to understand better and to be able to change the system. Yeah, I mean, when I think about that, that's really the definition of cooperation versus like coercion, which is what happens in the abusive system, right? In the cooperation, there's that sharing of information and the sense of wisdom goes both ways exactly and exactly and you know there's different perspectives i think an older person may have more knowledge and more experience but they are much much more likely to be part of that system you know and that's a, a drawback a bias that you know really has to be made aware of it you have to know it I think the other challenging thing, too, is that we cannot just all abandon the system because if you abandon the system, then you allow the abusive person to continue doing their abusive thing. So it's really about how do we find that balance between challenging these types of abusive systems and also taking care of ourselves in the process. And I think a lot of times people fall vary into kind of one category where, you know, for example, a denier or enabler is choosing themselves, but then at the expense of other people who are being victimized. But it's really how do we find this balance? How do we find each other so that we have the support to keep challenging these types of systems? And recognizing that because the other part of being in abusive families, having worked with clients who grew up in them, is when you're in them, you don't necessarily know that that's an abusive system. And so it's really about making these connections so that you can start seeing that that is an abusive system and that there are other systems available. Right. And it's very tiring. Not only do you not see it, 
uh, when you're in it often with the families we work with, but it's exhausting. And I think that's what yes. we're all experiencing with our, our country's family right now. This is really, really exhausting. So mm-hmm. I think taking a step back, really looking at the different roles that we've all played in this, uh, and in the, along these lines, we've tried to write some really guidelines about how to look at abusive systems. We're going to put them on our website, and really, some of them we've really talked about conversationally, but we want yeah. others to really continue these conversations and for all of us to really look at our role in this. Yeah, definitely. So I'm hopeful that people will check out the website and look at these guidelines and that it will help you look at the system that we're living in and also give you hope that we don't have to have this type of system, that there are other options and that we can support people who are working towards changing things. One of the things I've seen with my clients in the last year is really that this uh, so call it abusive family or national abusive family has given many families an opportunity to look at some of these things and make changes for themselves because I think it puts power and fear front and center you know we Mm -hmm. realize how it can be taken we can be taken advantage of as people and families and systems by these misused concepts really Yeah, I mean, I think it is getting a lot of people to look at power dynamics in their family and also just questioning whether things we have taken to be the norm, whether they have to be that way. And it is an opportunity to move towards something that feels better for a lot of people and also serves all of us better, which is to be able to share power. Yes, and that's a wonderful thing. I mean, we need a lot of practice still in doing that, I think. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And these types of conversations are a great way to start that process. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for bringing this topic up, Jen. You really pushed us to go into this and discuss it. And I really encourage all our listeners to take a look at the website for these guidelines. I think they're really important. And this is a subject we're going to come back to in the months to follow. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Lynn. Take care. Come on. Let's talk about sex.